0: You are listening to a podcast from Influence Church. We hope it encourages and empowers you to make a difference in your world for the kingdom of God. For any more information, visit our website, influencechurch.co.uk. Enjoy the message. We have been in a series called Overcome, and I think it's been a great way to start the year that we've been able to just start to declare as a church that we are going to be people who overcome anything that we face in the year going forward. I think it's a great start to to 2024 to be able to be those people that say, you know what, I'm probably going to face some challenges this year. But through the teaching that we've received and through the the understanding that we have, we will overcome those challenges and obstacles. The scriptures we've looked at, the first one was 1 John 5, verse 5, and it simply says this. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Of God, I love the fact that that scripture speaks to the fact that we can overcome through Jesus, who is the Son of God. And the second scripture we looked at in this in this series was Revelation twelve, verse eleven. It says they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. Those two scriptures together paint a great picture. That we will overcome through our relationship and our intimacy and our knowledge of God and of Jesus, but then also that the word of our testimony holds significant power in overcoming as well. That it's not just a God comes in and he does his thing and he solves it all and we just stand smiling at the side going, it's all right, everything's great, God's done it all. But actually, we have a part to play in it too by having a testimony, by being able to declare that God's done things and that God's still going to do things and he's continuing to do them as well. So what a great way to start the year. Hey, I'm gonna pray right now and then we're gonna dive into another passage of scripture. Lord God, I just pray Lord, that you would speak in this place Today, Lord, that you would give us wisdom and understanding, Lord, that you would give us a closeness with you as well, Lord. I pray that as we go into this year, that we would be overcomers through our knowledge and closeness with you, but also through the word and the power of our testimony as well. In your name, Jesus, Amen, Amen. Okay, I'm going to open up this Bible. Um, if you want to turn your Bibles, we're going to be in Romans 8 today. There we go. Ooh. I was terrified that I'd drop it. That'd be awkward, wouldn't it? Romans 8 is a fantastic passage of Scripture, and we see all the way through it Paul talking about all of these different and amazing things, but we're going to read the summary. So reading from verse 31, Paul says this. He says, what then shall we say in response to these things? We'll get to that bit in a moment. If God is for us, who can be against us? He In all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. It is an absolutely fantastic statement that Paul makes, and it's in summary to the rest of the chapter. It's a long chapter, and I didn't want to read it today for fear of being, for fear of talking for absolutely ages. One thing about me is if you get me talking, it's very hard to get me to shut up, Uh, (laughs) There's sometimes people, I don't get offended now when people say, just shut up. Like, I just I nod and agree and go, yeah, fair. Um, so, in the interests of brevity or briefness, I felt that it was better to briefly summarize a very long chapter. And before Paul makes this statement, he makes some amazing claims. He says that a life in the spirit. Will set you free. He says that the Spirit of the Lord lives within each and every one of us. Another thing he says is that the struggles of today are far outweighed by the glory of tomorrow, and that from our suffering, we will also share in the glory given to us through Christ. He says that the Spirit of the Lord is right there interceding for us in our struggles in that scripture and in the previous ones as well. And he also says that God works all things together for the good of those that love him. And he makes all these statements, and then he turns around and says, in response to all of this, if God is for us, who can be against us? It's a great statement. It's a fantastic statement. There's a truth in that like no other, that if God is for us, who can be against us? But the reality is, we fall short of remembering that so very often in our lives. But Paul prefaces it with a great two-letter word right at the beginning of the sentence. He says, if God is for us. And I think for a lot of us, we can find ourselves asking that question so often we can be saying, God, are you for me right now? Am I in the right place where I'm meant to be? Am I stepping into all that you've got for me? Am I pursuing you with all my heart? And, as, and sometimes when we find ourselves in times of struggle and times of strife and hardship, we, we start to wonder whether it's something that we've done wrong that's caused us to end up in that place. So often we ask ourselves if, if God is for us. And I think the reality is, is that sometimes we ask that question through uh, conviction and that's really healthy you know to have the ability to have your heart convicted by the Holy Spirit to be asked to be let, gently nudged and led to the conclusion that maybe what we're doing right now maybe where we're at right now is not of God's plan I must admit I get that nudging probably at least three times a week if not more in some of the silly things that we end up doing at our staff summit which was a fantastic time of prayer and reflection and growth. Me and Ed found ourselves sharing a room together, which was not a good thing. Um, I have to, I've got some. I've got a list of apologies that we, me and him need to make collectively. But I'll wait till he's in Richmond on Thursday before I start them. Um, we, it's just leaving two grown men with a telephone for eight hours. It's just not wise. Prank calls just. They're not even funny, are they, really? Like, but we still do them. Um, it's ridiculous. But the reality is that the Holy Spirit will nudge us and lead us in the daft like that, but also in the serious as well. And when that, when that questioning comes from the Holy Spirit, God's seeking a higher purpose in it. He's seeking us to be fat, He's seeking to realign us with his kingdom plans and purposes for our lives. But it can also come from a different place. Sometimes it can come from insecurity. It can come from fear or worry or just self-doubt or anything like that. We can sometimes be asking, our question, asking the question, why am I in this situation, God? Is this really your plan for me? Not from a place of prompting from the Holy Spirit, but instead from worry in our own hearts that maybe we're a lot further off than we, we need to be. The reality is, is that God is for us. And he wants the best for us. And if we're living in his kingdom plans and purposes, if we're pursuing God, if we're praying regularly, if we're close with God, it's gonna be a struggle for us to end up away from where God's calling us to be. The reality is is more often is that we find ourselves out of his kingdom plans and purposes or driving down the wrong road, so to speak, when we've spent time away from God. But often we'll then try and blame God for that when the truth of the matter is it's largely on us as people that have become distant from him. It's never been the case, I don't think, that God has abandoned his people, you know, as Christians. He's never done that to us. What he does, what we do instead is we abandon him but blame him for the abandonment. And there's a ridiculousness in that, but it's a truth that we do. On the regular, we'll often be distant from God and then complaining that he's left us when we haven't. The, the reality is, is that one of the other things in that scripture that is said that in Romans 8 is that God is uh, Jesus is interceding for us at the right hand of the throne of God and there is a really refreshing knowledge in knowing that that's happening for us you know Jesus died for us he, for us he gave his life on the cross so that we could inherit salvation and relationship and closeness with God and if we look at that on a in the most basic way Jesus did that then then we could look at it and say, well, now it's our job to do everything else. But Jesus loved us so much that rather than just leave it for us to work out the pieces afterwards, he then took his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. And when we're falling short, when we're making mistakes, when we're messing up, He's right there speaking to God, interceding on our behalf. Talk about an incredible love that surpasses understanding. The sacrifice is one thing, but the intercession is another as well. He continually intercedes for us. And there is some great comfort that I find in knowing that. That when I fall short, when I make mistakes, when I do what God hasn't got planned for me, that Jesus is there saying, look... He's not far off, but we know we just need to get him back into our presence. We just need to encourage him forward in this way. And there is a great comfort that comes from that. So often, though, what we do, and I think it's, tr- it's a truth for all of us, is that when we find ourselves lost, when we find ourselves struggling, when we find ourselves facing hardship, we then try and attribute that to our personal failures. We try and blame ourselves in some way, shape, or form for it. You know, we've come a long way in 2,000 years since the time of Jesus. I've been doing something um, this month called the 30-day shred. It's where you read the entire Bible in 30 days. To my shame, I've ended up one day behind. But I've had a busy week. That's all I'm saying. Um, it's not so judge me not, please. But the I, I've loved the Old Testament journey of just reading from Genesis to Malachi, the the journey of the Israelites and the and the and the where they went and how their, their role how their lives played out. The the reality is in those times they would look uh problems and issues and say that's a byproduct of your sin if a child was born with a problem or an issue they would say well your child has that because you've done something really wrong and while that's a really extreme example the the reality is is that we don't do that nowadays because we've maybe got a little bit more of an understanding about medicine and how things work and and all of that stuff but in the small we're no further forward Quite often we'll say, well, this has gone wrong. Maybe I've made a mistake. Maybe I've messed up. Maybe God's trying, one of the most stupid things that you'll ever hear is people saying, maybe God's trying to punish me for something. And the reality is, is God isn't trying to punish us for things. We live in a broken world that's rarely for us. We live in a world that that is so self-centered and so self-focused. And you can see it now in the way that language is changing and the way that behaviors and societal norms are altering. It's Everything is inward looking. It's all about what I can face. In business, you see now that people are so self-focused in making a fortune for themselves. It's very rare that people have an outward look of saying, how can I also bless my community or bless those around me? In relationships, things, especially in the lives of our young people, are becoming so much more transactionally focused. And it's a painful thing to see because everyone's trying to serve their own agendas. It's rare. And it's a it's a rare thing now to see people wanting to look at the bigger picture or look at others and show them blessing. And showed them love. The reality is, though, is that we know that it needs to be different. And that in our relationship with Jesus, it's, it is different. The hardships and the failures and the struggles we see, they're a byproduct of a broken world. They're not a byproduct of God's wrath against us. God's wrath was satisfied on the cross so that we could step into the wholeness and the love that He has. For us. It's a lie of the enemy to think that when we're struggling, we're doing something wrong. In fact, I would go as far to say that struggle, strife, and hardship, and all things like that can often be a sign of success. That the closer you get to God's plans and purposes, the further along that road that you go, the more the enemy is going to try and knock you off. I grew up um, in the early 2000s, and when when television became Freeview, It was like a great, it was like the great, I don't know, like the great revelation for me. Um, There was a television channel, I can't even, I think it was called UKTV Gold, and it used to play a show called Takeshi's Castle. Yeah, we're going there. And, and as a, as a, like a 10, 12-year-old, the, the idea of Takeshi's Castle was incredible. It was this Chinese imported game show of just people doing ridiculous things to try and compete to win. I don't think I ever saw anyone win it. It's a great metaphor for the journey of life that actually will continually be fighting against the forces. But no, we're not going there with it. What, we're going to, what I wanted to highlight was there were various games... In that game show where they would have to run along an obstacle course. And quite often there'd be members of the production trying to knock them off the course. And as they got towards the end of said obstacle course, the intensity would go up tenfold. It would be like they'd have these ball cannons and there'd be like one at the beginning. By the end there'd be like 15 of them all shooting at the same time. And the reality is as they got to the finish line, as they got to where they needed to be to get through to the next round, there was more pressure... As they got closer. So much easier when they're a million miles away, but when they're right there at the finish line. The intensity got worse. And so we can see that in our lives as well. Who thought we'd be getting Keshi's castle as a way of spiritual impartation today? Um, the, the reality is, is that we can see that in our own lives as well. When we're struggling, it means the enemy's trying to knock us away from where God's leading us to. He, he's trying to get us because he knows that if he can get us before we cross that line, before we get into where, exactly where God needs us to be, it's far easier to knock them away than it is to knock them out of that place because when we're there we are so much more protected and covered by the love and the grace of God. I'm gonna change my page. Here we go. One thing that Jesus said was this. He said, broad is the gate that leads to destruction and many will find it and pass through it. But narrow is the gate and the road that leads to life. Only a few will find it. It, One thing that I'm always mindful of is that with or without a relationship with Jesus, we're going to face hardship in our lives. But with Jesus and with, that, with our faith, things often do feel harder. certainly in the world of the flesh and certainly in the the world, it can feel so much more challenging when we're trying to live a Christian life and we're having temptations and frustrations and all manner of other things coming in from every possible angle. But Jesus points that out perfectly in that passage of scripture. I think it's found in Mark 9 where he says it, that when we're walking the road that he's marked out for us, it is narrower. There's no meandering on that road. I live on a narrow road on a lane which when about three out of five people when invited to my house miss the entrance to the lane entirely, find themselves then on the A66 going, I'm driving towards Barnard Castle. Am I in the right place? Should have rang me 20 minutes ago. But the, the reality is, is that narrow, when the road is narrow, where God has called us to, the life that God's called us to live, it's narrow for a reason. One is to do with purity, and it's to do with sanctification, that actually, we, although we can be in the world, we're not to be of the world. So worldly temptations and worldly lifestyles and various things like that are not things that we're called into. But also, it's narrow because it keeps our focus on God. I drive differently on a B road to what I drive on a motorway. I'm sure, Rich, you can testify that after having a two hour drive with me this week, that you were shaking at various points, in our, as I remember. Um, you are a backseat driver, can I just say that? And we were never at risk, but yeah. Um, I've still got a car, it's still not scratched, so. Um, no, <laughs> we don't. Oh, it is a bit, yeah. But. <laughs> you drive differently on a back road to what you drive on a motorway. On a motorway, there's three lanes, There's a lot of space. In some senses, you can meander a little bit there, and, and you can sort of drive a little bit more of a relaxed way. Yes, it's moving faster. Yes, there's more going on around it, but there is also a lot more space. When you're on a back road, you have to drive a lot more carefully. You have to be mindful of, much, uh, of hazards in various different ways. like Things like deer's can just come out of nowhere and ruin your car. That's happened to me before. I had a written-off car because of that. You know, you, you, after that, I drove differently down backwards, like looking in the woods, like less so than I was at the road. The, the reality is, is that, we do, that you do drive differently on those roads. There's more hazards, there's more things that could knock you off. There's things like tractors that can come out of driveways. There's all manner of different things as you drive down back roads and narrower roads. And it's the same in our journey of faith too, that as we travel the narrow road that Jesus says leads to life, that actually there will be distractions that come. There will be problems that come. There will be hardships and strife and all of those different things. But the reality is, is that as we journey and traverse that and we move towards where God has called us to, we can go in the confidence that God is truly for us. Romans 8, verses 35 and 37 says this, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship, persecution, famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Knowing all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We're going to face hardships. The the reality is it preaches really well to say, Give your life to Jesus and it will be sunshine, rainbows and lollipops for the rest of your days. We would have... A much more full, like every seat in this auditorium will be packed out if we preach that gospel. If we said that you give your life to Jesus, your finances, they're going to go like this. Like we'd be able a queue out the door for communion. But the reality is, is that that's not the gospel. The gospel, in fact, is that you will face these things, but through him who gives you life, who gives you strength, you will be more than a conqueror, as Paul puts it. Conquerors and Christians feel like they should almost be two different things. I think we've got a very, in the world nowadays, we have a view of Christians as being, they're nice people. They're friendly. I hope we are. If we're not, we're doing something really wrong. But we have that view that that's how Christians should be, and that's how Christians are. But we feel like the word conqueror almost implies someone that's not like that. That's someone who is a ruler, who is a subjugator of people. It's someone who goes and takes battle, who engages in wars, who overtakes Things. And it's hard to sometimes think about those two things as being the same thing. But Paul is intentional in his writing. And we know he was because the Greek, the original, in the original Greek, the word he uses, it's a mashup of two words. In the English language, we're not re- we don't really do that. And we sort of laugh when, you remember a couple of years ago, there was that video of a guy saying he had a pen and a pineapple. And he put them together, he had a pineapple pen. It's kind of what Paul was doing here with two words. I think in Greek, and ancient Greek, it's more culturally, like, normal to do that. Whereas in England, if I said I've got a lectern shoe, like, everyone would be like, what? Like, you've lost it, but... That there, it's a, it's a word that's only used once in the whole Bible. Um, so, Paul had coined this intentionally for us to understand that that is what he meant. It's not a word that has multiple different usages and meanings that we can then look at other scriptures and go, well, in context over here, it meant this or anything. This is the sole use of that word. And it's a mashup of two words. The first word is the word hooper, which means super which you can see how language evolved over time with that one. But the other one is, the other word that it uses is nikau, and together they make this word called upernikomen. But the word nikau is fascinating. The word nikau means to conquer. But the, the, the word definition of it, so when reading in original Greek, I can't read Greek in any way, shape, or form. It just looks like a lot of lines to me. But with the help of certain books that aid your study in reading scripture, you can find the definitions for them. And the definition that was found in what's called Helps Word Studies on this, on this word Nikau, was this. It says to properly conquer, to overcome, to carry off the victory, to come off victorious. And then it had a little subnote underneath it. This verb implies a battle. Paul's intentionality was that we would be super conquerors, that we would be people that would overcome, that would face challenge, that would properly conquer, but he was also in the same instance implying that there would be a battle. Conquerors are people who overcome. Conquerors are people who take ground. They have influence far superseding their years. One person I want to look at uh, specifically is is a person called King William I of England also known as William the Conqueror. Uh, William the Conqueror is a fascinating person. He was from where is in present-day Normandy. He was a Frenchman who came over and occupied England in around 1066. And he did some incredible things. He took land, he sort of subjugated England into his own control. But his influence far superseded that. In fact, in Richmond alone, you only have to walk out of our front door, turn right and walk a few hundred meters, and you'll see a giant imposing Norman castle. That was built in the 1070s by one of his court. The the reality is is that in our English language today there are over 10,000 words of Norman heritage that we use and we convey with. And that is over a thousand years later. The occupation in 1066 still holds influence and sway in our lives. We don't even think of William the Conqueror on a regular basis. I know there was that meme the other week where people were saying, how often do you think of the Roman Empire? Well, we probably think of Rome more than William the Conqueror, I'm sure, but he exerted influence that far surpassed his lifetime. He exerted influence that far surpassed what he would even have intended for it to be because he went in and took ground where he wasn't ever destined to do so, really, but he went and he went powerfully within that. He went prepared. You know, conquerors expect a battle, he went if he came over by himself on a boat very much sort of like the uh, the Monty python sketch of uh, of king arthur it would you know if he turned up with three people and said we're going to subjugate england he'd have been laughed out of london and thrown back into the sea but he didn't he turned up with an army with siege with siege tools he turned up with horses and swords and weapons and food and supplies to go for the journey and in our same journey ourselves spiritually if, we're going to be, if we know that we're more than conquerors, and that implies that there will be battle, we need to be prepared for it as well. So often what we'll do is something will come out of nowhere and hit us, and it'll knock us for six, and we'll be left in a position where we're like, well, it was unexpected, and now my life is 10 steps further back than where it was. In some senses, we need to almost expect the unexpected. We need to expect hardship coming into our lives. That's not to say live your life in perpetual fear that something is going to go wrong. Because that lifestyle is equally as destructive as the lifestyle of someone who lives, like everything's 3,000 miles an hour and it's all going to be fine even when it's not. The reality is, is there's a balance to be struck between the two. But we do need some kind of spiritual preparation and acknowledgement that we will face challenges. Jesus himself said, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart for I have overcome The world. We have to be prepared for those kind of battles and for those kind of troubles. But looking back at William the Conqueror as well, you look at his influence long term. One thing that's true in our spiritual sense as well is that those battles that we overcome, they have a lasting impact. That can be in our lives, in the sense that once you've overcome something, if it comes around again, it's suddenly much less challenging and much less hard to to face. But equally, that we can see... Our successes and our victories have effects for generations in our families and in our churches to come as well. That actually the wars you fight today are potentially wars that your children won't have to fight tomorrow. And there's there's a great knowledge in knowing that we can lay and pave the ground for the future generations of this church. For the future generations of leaders and people and all members of this church to be living in a much more prosperous and a much more spiritually secure place when we ourselves choose to acknowledge that we may have some battles to fight in our own lives. I want to share today, just as we close, and band, if you want to join me, that would be amazing, three ways that we as Christians can be more than conquerors. The first one is this, is that as Christians Christians that are more than conquerors, they can overcome with greater power. The power of Jesus is the greatest thing that this world has ever seen. Romans 8 verse 11 says this, And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. This verse speaks to the truth that the same power that conquered death through Jesus lives in each and every one of us as well it is truly a power like no other it's truly transformational when we encounter the holy spirit for the first time it will change the very trajectory of our lives the reality is is that that we can overcome through the proximity of the holy spirit of the the proximity of the holy spirit in our lives if it lives in us one of the things that the bible says in isaiah 45 is that every Knee will bow to the power of the Lord. Not just every knee in a human sense, but also every knee, everything of struggle, everything of strife will bow in the presence and the power of the Lord. And we're blessed with the knowledge that that power lives within us, that we can take dominion over strife and struggle and pain and hardship and all of those horrible circumstances that come up in our lives. We can take dominion of them by going, the same power that conquered death lives in me, but also, I know that that, that, that that needs to bow in the presence of God. Alongside this, though, we also have the glory of the Lord as well. In the, in the Lord's Prayer, we, we pray that yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. The, the reality is, is that the glory of the Lord abounds where the presence of the Lord is too. 1 Thessalonians says this, it says, "For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father dealt with his own children. That's Paul telling the church in Thessalonica that he had to do some telling off when he got there. But then it says this, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and his glory. We're called to not just be spectators, in the doings of God. We're called to be the hands and the feet. We're called to partake in it. And Paul writes frequently that we can share in that glory. That doesn't mean that we take away the glory from God. That doesn't mean that we then start to say, well, you should be worshiping me. You should be acknowledging me. You should be doing all of these things. No, no, no. What it means is that we get to see what God's doing. We get to play a part in what God's doing. We get to see his glory on earth. And then, and this is the great bit, we get to look at God and go, God, we give you glory. We get the opportunity. And when we talk about giving in this church, one thing that we can do, even when finances are hard, even when time is not there, even when all other things are not there, we have still got the ability to go, God, yours is the kingdom. Yours is the glory. We give it to you and we surrender that to you willingly. Second point is this. They overcome with greater victory. Christians who are more than conquerors overcome With greater victory. 1 John 5, verse 4. The the verse that's the verse before one of the scriptures we're looking at in this series says this for everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. And I remember reading that when I was preparing this message, and it was one of those scriptures that I just stared at for like a good five, ten minutes, because I couldn't quite work out what on earth it meant. But what what's written here? is that God's, God's victory will overcome everything in this world. It'll even overcome our faith. The, the other week, Pastor Rich shared a great message on, um, I think, is it Mark, Mark 9, where the uh, father comes to Jesus with his son who needs healing, and he says to him, I do believe, Lord. Help me overcome my unbelief. The reality is, is that God's victory will overcome even our unbelief. That God's victory is so all-encompassing that even when we feel, as we sing in the song Waymaker, even when we don't see it, he's still working. He's still got the victory. Even when we don't feel it in our hearts, God still has the victory. Even when we don't know what's up or what's down, what's left or what's right, God has got the victory in all things. The final point is this, is that they, Christians, who are more than conquerors, they overcome with a greater love. Closing scripture of Romans 8 says this, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither past nor the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love that God has that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's on the screen right there. If you're, if, you're one of the, if you're someone who likes terms and conditions, this is a T's and C's document to your salvation. It is. No, it, it legitimately is. This is a T's and C's document to your salvation because when we give our lives to Jesus and we say, Lord, you're my Savior. I surrender my life to you. I give, I give myself over to let your kingdom come in my life. This here is the terms and condition document that God presents in front of us. That I will love you, that not, regardless of what happens, neither height nor depth, neither past nor present, future powers, you name it, you can put it, This is in writing of God saying there is nothing that can separate you from the love that God has. So often what we do is we convince ourselves that the past is a stopping block for us coming into relationship with God. And we say, you know what? I can't be a Christian or I can't follow Jesus because I've done this really bad thing 10, 15, 20, however many years ago. It might even have just been last week. But here we see written in Scripture, the past has no power over our salvation It also goes further and says that the future has no power over our salvation. I hate to break it to you, but you've given your life to Jesus. Great, that is the best decision you will ever make for your life. But you're going to mess up. You're going to fall short sometimes. If you set yourself the standard of perfection, you might as well have been on that cross instead of Jesus. But none of us, no none of us in this place will ever amount to perfection. We'll all fall short. We'll all make mistakes. We'll all screw up. But the beauty of it is that right in the T's and C's there, There is no future that can bring about God's love against us. That God's love will always be for us. There is nothing that we can do. Nothing can separate us from the love that God has for us. And some of us need to know that today. Because I think so often what we can do is we can find ourselves living a life where we think that God's love is separate from us. That we've been abandoned by God. God hasn't abandoned you. God wants you in his kingdom. God is for you. Nothing can be against you. The world can bring its charges, and it will. There's no doubt about that. But God's love conquers all. I love it, church. If you just close your your eyes and bow your heads for a moment. Wow, there we go. It's good that we can laugh, but God has got so much in store for each and every one of us over this next year. My prayer is that for all of us, that we wouldn't spend a year waiting for God to come back to us, but instead we would have that recognition even now that it's us that need to come back to God. So right in this moment, I'm just going to offer a, an opportunity of response. And this is for anyone who feels that they're far from God or even for, and even for people who've maybe never given their lives to Jesus as well. I just want to give you an opportunity in this place to say yes to him today because I truly believe and I know that he will bring about an amazing change and transformation in your life, that he will lead you to places you never thought imaginable, that that salvation is the safe place that you've been searching for and that there is freedom that can be found through salvation. So if you want to give your life to Jesus today, if you want to make that recommitment today just with every head bowed, and with every eye closed, I'd love it if you just do the really brave thing of just raising your hand just for a moment. There's only me and two other people looking. We'll count down from three. And if that's you, you just raise your hand. Three, two, one. Amazing. Lord God, I thank you that you are alive and active. I thank you for the raised hands in this room right now, Lord. I pray that you... Speak to those people, Lord. I pray that you give them the proximity and the closeness of your amazing Holy Spirit right here, right now. And Lord, I pray for the rest of us, Lord, that you would lead us and guide us as we, as we move journey through this year, Lord, that you would be the voice that guides us to where we need to be, that you would be the voice of purpose in our lives, that you'd be the voice of motivation in our lives, that you'd be the voice of inspiration in our lives as well, Lord. We give ourselves over to you Lord, we thank you that even in our failings, your love conquers all. That it's through your love, through your unimaginable love, that we get our salvation, our freedom, our victory. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Influence Church. For any more information, visit our website influencechurch.co.uk Influence Church empowering you to make a difference in your world for the kingdom of God